Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and nobody is with me in the studio or virtually across the world. It is me all by myself tonight. You are stuck with just me. And we are going to be going over the topic of church membership and the local church. So we're going to talk a little bit about those doctrines and why they're important. And before we even get into the topic or we even start, I always forget to say this. And I always say at the end of the podcast, and I'm afraid everyone just turns it off, you know, one minute early and doesn't hear what I have to say. Please, if you like this podcast, you can help me not even by sending me money, just by going to my YouTube channel and subscribing. Subscribe to that YouTube channel, the Bible Thumper Podcast YouTube channel. Hit that little alarm bell. So that way when a video comes up, you just get a little ding on your phone, a little notification. We put up one video a week, maybe two. It's not a big deal, but it helps me tremendously because I can't monetize this channel until I hit a thousand subscribers. We do not have that yet. Many of you out there like this podcast, do me the favor of going to YouTube. It'll take you 20 seconds, subscribe, and then wherever you listen to podcasts, like it, rate it, share it with some friends, you will be helping spread the message and hopefully someone will hear the gospel and get saved. If nothing else, maybe some Christians can find some good Bible teaching that they like. That's my whole pitch. Oh, one more thing while we're, I mean, while we're pitching stuff, we have a website now, the Bible Thumper Podcast web website. It is BibleThumperPodcast.com, so it's easy to find. On there, you can find the podcast, you can find the Facebook page, you can find the YouTube channel. You can find a Patreon page if you are dying to give me money. If you're like, man, I, I just want to send this guy my money, but I don't know how to do it, it's on my website. Don't ask me how to do it. I don't even know if I've ever been on my website, but one or two times. My wife manages the whole thing, so if you have a complaint, you can email it to me. I'll be happy to pass it on to her. With that, we are going to get into the idea of church membership and the local church. This is not the most popular topic in the world, not in American Christianity today, but that's all right. This is the Bible Thumper podcast. We get into controversial stuff that people don't like. So church membership, I am proud to say that right now, today, I am a member of exactly two organizations, my local church and the NRA. Now, let me start by telling you that as far as church membership goes, mostly in the Bible, it is implied. There are no specific commands to join a local church you're certainly not going to find a command in the Bible that is as clear as thou shalt not steal, the eighth commandment we find in Exodus chapter 20. But many commandments in the Bible are implied. Church membership is strongly implied. As a matter of fact, that's not even really fair. It is obvious. But people that don't like the idea they kind of fall back to that very elementary argument, which is, well, the Bible doesn't specifically say anything about smoke and meth, so therefore, you know, who are you to tell me that I can't do it? Brilliant. 
the Bible implies many things. Some commandments are explicit, and a lot of people, and you know what's funny? The, uh, the people that avoid commandments that are implied, they're the same people that don't even obey the commands that are obvious. The, the commands that are that explicit, they don't follow those either. Don't be one of those people along with commandments that are implied and there are many throughout the bible we also have commandments that you and i as a reader of the bible would infer so we would read through the bible and you and i would draw a conclusion off of the vast amount of evidence that's pointing us in a certain direction as far as commandments that are implied Let me ask you a question to give you an idea, kind of an example. Can a woman take part in the Lord's Supper? Now, you might say, Patrick, that's a stupid question. Of course they can. Well, I agree. But what I'm, my point that I'm making is no women were present when Jesus had the first Lord's Supper with the 12. No women were present. It is implied many places in the Bible that the Lord's Supper is for every church member and not just for men, but it is not explicitly stated. We have no problem with accepting implied commandments in the Bible. Church membership is one of them. So let's see, where do we want to go? All right. Before we're going to start talking about church membership, we have to cover another doctrine that is tied to it. These two doctrines go together. The doctrine is the local church. We're going to start out by talking about the local church, and then we'll move on to church membership. So what you have is the local church versus the universal invisible church. There are two conflicting ideas in Christianity today. In American Christianity, I hear a lot of people mix up the idea of the church. And a lot of people, especially in American Christianity today, they think that every Christian on earth makes up what they call the church. And although the word church is used to describe this group, it is more accurately described as the bride of Christ. When the Lord Jesus returns one day and raptures everyone and takes all the born-again believers back to heaven with him, he is taking with him the bride of Christ. That includes every born-again saved person here on earth. But this idea that all saved people are the church is not accurate. Many call this church the universal invisible church. Why do we call it that? Well, we call it that because there is no pastor. There are no deacons. There is no membership. There are no responsibilities. There is no church discipline. There is no tithing or ordinances and no preaching. It is invisible people say well i'm saved i'm part of the church well okay i understand why you have that idea but you're really part of the bride of christ if you wanted you could say you're part of the family of god you could also say you're part of the body but realistically when you're talking about that 
uh, scripture describing the body, it's talking about a local group of believers. It's not talking about every Christian because it's talking about how those different members work together for the good of that group. Well, it's not talking about me as a Christian and a Christian that lives over in China. We don't work together. It doesn't matter if I'm a hand and they're a foot and someone else is the eyeball, you know, in the Middle East. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a group that is together and how not all the different part, not everybody can be a hand, not everyone can be an eye, not everyone can be a foot. It's talking about a local group of believers. So if you wanted to talk about every saved person is the bride of Christ, every saved person is part of the family of God, I don't have a problem with that. But if you want to say that every saved person on earth makes up the church and that's it it's nonsensical the bible doesn't support that in any way whatsoever so that's the universal invisible church do not be a universal invisible church person you're going to sound stupid and when you try to defend it if you come upon anybody that knows their bible even a little bit they're going to make you feel like an idiot so you have the second idea, which is the local church. So the local church is the one you can join. It has a membership. It has a pastor. The New Testament defines the local church as a group of saved and baptized people who meet to comfort and edify one another. We find that idea in 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to get to that later on in the study here. We also find that the Christians in this group are to warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, those are the teenagers, support the weak, rejoice evermore, and pray without ceasing. Also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, they are to receive preaching, 2 Timothy 4, and that local church has a pastor and deacons, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, chapter 1. It has a membership with responsibilities and privileges. Now, what the local church doesn't always have, the local church does not always have a building, and that's fine. There are many Christian churches all around the world that do not have a building, Most of them don't have a building because they're in a portion of the planet that persecutes Christians, so you don't get to keep your building. Christian church buildings didn't really exist in many parts of the world for the first 800 to 1,200 years. Now, I've had someone argue this with me, and this is why I'm just kind of going to go down this rabbit trail for a second. Emperor Constantine in the fourth century did start Roman Catholicism, and you will find some buildings going up that were state-sponsored Roman Catholic churches. But let me be clear, Catholicism is not Christianity. Catholicism happens to be the biggest persecutor of Christianity, but it is not in any way Christian. The early Christians were persecuted, and by persecuted, I mean hunted down and dragged out of their homes and killed by the Romans, by the Jews, and by the fourth century, the Catholics. During all those years, the local churches didn't have church buildings. They met underground, they met in people's homes, but Paul still wrote letters during those days to the 
churches. We find out that Jesus even wrote seven letters to seven churches. There were groups that were distinct from one another. If not, why didn't Paul just write letters to Christians everywhere? He didn't do that because he was writing letters to individual churches, local churches. So when Paul got saved and Paul stopped persecuting all the Christians in the book of Acts, it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Well, it didn't say all the Christians had rest in Judea. The churches had rest. Christianity is made up of many local churches. Now, don't get me wrong. The Christians in those churches did have rest because the number one persecutor of Christianity, Paul, a Pharisee, converted. He got saved, and now he was, you know, on the winning team. But understand, it talks about churches having rest. If if local churches didn't exist and there was nothing but this big, one big, universal, invisible church, then there would be no reason for Paul to write letters to the church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus. Why not just write churches in, I'm sorry, why not just write letters in general to Christianity everywhere? It was because there were local churches and each one had a different pastoral authority. They had different church members. They were going through different struggles. They needed different encouragement. They needed different discipline. There were individual local churches. All right. So church membership in the Bible is surrounded by two ideas that people today in America find distasteful. And those ideas are authority and submission. I'm going to just give everyone a second to spit your beverage out of your mouth onto your computer monitor and change the website to a different page. I said authority and submission, folks. Without getting into a specific study, you know, on these two concepts, we will merely mention them. And when, and then we'll move on to the overall general biblical topic and doctrine of church membership. In Hebrews 13, 17, this is one of the most explicit verses talking about church authority and how we Christians are supposed to submit ourselves to that authority. This idea supports the idea of a local church and a church membership. And I'll show you how in just a second. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. This verse is talking about church leadership. It's not talking about the government. You can read the chapter for context if you want. This verse brings two facts to light. Number one, Christians are to submit themselves to and obey their pastor. 
Number two, that pastor must give an account to God for how they act as an authority. Those are the two facts we see from this verse here in Hebrews 13, 17. Now I got some questions for you. Those of you that think church membership is nonsense. Does the Bible say we are to obey and submit ourselves to leadership in our church? Yes, it does. Now on that premise, I have two questions. First, if there is no biblical requirement to belong to a local church, then which leaders should an individual Christian obey and submit to? Am I, as a Christian, supposed to submit myself to every pastor in America? No. I am to submit myself to my pastor, the pastor of my local church of which I am a member. Second, and this is more personal because I am a pastor of a local church, who will I, as a pastor, give an account for? Am I responsible for every Christian in Mesa County, Colorado? Or am I responsible for every Christian in the city of Palisade? That's where I live. Or am I responsible for every Christian in the city of Grand Junction, which is where my church is? Or every Christian over in China? Obviously, no. I will give an account for those whom I teach. I will give an account for the knowledge and the life of those under my care. Those that have joined the church that I am a pastor of. And that's it. I'm not responsible for Christians in other countries living on other continents. Acts 9.31 and Hebrews 13.17 don't make any sense unless there is church membership for the Christian. See, this local church, I'm a member of this church, and I submit myself to the authority in that church, the pastor. I could cite many more sources as far as Bible verses, and we could get into this and talk about this for as long as we want. Honestly, I like asking you folks to do your own homework because when you do that, it makes more sense to you and you seem to accept it faster than if I tell you. So just do your own homework, but explain to me how these verses work if there's no such thing as a local church. Who do I submit myself to and who do I as a pastor find that I am responsible for? All right, submission, the four-letter word. Submission is a four-letter word to both the rebellious and the stupid. Church membership is implied in the biblical requirement of all Christians to be submitted to a group of church leaders and a pastor. The New Testament commands individuals to submit to a specific group of leaders. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Now, you notice that the purpose of the church leadership is to look out for you. Their job is to protect you and help you. As they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 
Like every command in the Bible, this one is here for our betterment. I've said this a thousand times at our church. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast. When God made a command and God said, don't do this, what do we know about this? We know it's bad for us. That's why God said, don't do it. And when God comes over here and he says, I want you to do this, what do we know about this? We know it's good for us. It's going to be a blessing. There are going to be blessings involved. God loves us and wants the best for us. So just like we want the best for our children, whom we love, we tell them not to do things that are bad for them, and we encourage them and teach them to do things that are good for them. Brushing their teeth and eating vegetables versus playing in a busy street. Now, this verse in Hebrews 13, 17 seems to imply that individuals need to have expressed willingness or an agreement to submit to a group of leaders. Membership defines who has made that commitment to be led. I, as a pastor, do not believe that I have the heart of an individual who attends my church. But an individual who has made a commitment to join my church, I know that they have decided to put themselves under my pastoral leadership. And they are allowing me to lead them, to guide them, to help them. Like so many commandments found in the Bible, this one shows the heart of the person. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's one of the reasons for the tithe. God and your pastor get to determine where your heart is. It's not about the money. Joining a church and submitting to your biblical authority isn't about the pastor being able to tell you to do whatever he wants. Let's face it, that just doesn't happen. What it does is it shows the heart of the Christian. Am I willing to trust God and believe that if I submit myself under a man, a biblically appointed authority, Do I believe that God will bless me for doing that? And that God will supernaturally help that man to help me get closer to God? Submission to church leadership, to your pastor, is also important. Forgive me. I lost my notes. I had it. It is also important to know who has been chosen to lead in this process. If we neglect the importance of membership, then practically speaking, this commandment is impossible to obey. There has to be a pastor over a local church, and there has to be a membership of that church 
for you to put yourself under that leadership and submit to it. One of the dangers, well, you know what? We're going to get to this in a little bit. I don't need to get ahead of the notes. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I'm not going to read 12 verses right now. I just wanted you to know where we're, what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about a couple verses here, specifically verses 11 and 12. I just wanted you to have some context. In this portion, portion of scripture, Paul confronts the church in Corinth for approving of a man walking in blatant sin, unrepentant sexual immorality. And I mean, it's a doozy. The Corinthians are celebrating God's grace. They're like, oh, this is great. This big, horrible, terrible sin. Isn't it wonderful that there's that much more grace? And Paul warns them that, no, this type of wickedness shouldn't be celebrated. They shouldn't be excited. They should be mourning. It is terrible. We shouldn't be doing this. He calls them arrogant and tells them to remove this man for the destruction of his flesh and the hopeful salvation of his soul. In verse 11 and 12, Paul pulls no punches. And I'm going to read, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, no, not to eat for what have I to do to judge them that also are without do not ye judge them that are within. It has been my very sad experience that few churches still practice church discipline. And that's another lesson for another time. I can tell you that as a pastor, I have had to bring up this verse. And if you're going to be a pastor worth anything, you are going to bring this verse up a lot in America today. Because there are couples living together, fornicating, they're living in sin, it is not okay, the Bible says you're not allowed to have company with them, you can't even share a meal with them, It the sin needs to be dealt with, the sin is bad, not only for them, but also for the church. I would be surprised if a pastor that's running 250 people or more doesn't deal with this verse every, I don't know, once a month, every two weeks, I've had to have a conversation with people constantly about this because let's face it nowadays, no big deal. Oh yeah. We, you know, we've been dating for three weeks and we moved in together or looking to buy a house together. And these are professing Christians. No big deal. It is a big deal. Church discipline is there for the betterment of the Christian and for the purity of the church. It is a good thing that is there to help. I have yet to have a bad experience with this verse when I am talking to couples who are Christian couples. They claim to be Christian. They've been saved. They've been baptized. They've been going to church for years. And they started dating and they moved in together and they're living in fornication. I have not had a bad experience with bringing this situation, this form of church discipline, these verses up to people. 
And many of the people that I've brought this up to, God puts pressure on them. They get married. And a lot of times they thank you. They're grateful for someone that is willing to tell them the truth and deal with what the Bible has to say. And I hate to say it, but man, nowadays it's so sad that so few churches still practice church discipline. Okay, now this, that was a rabbit trail. That had nothing to do with what we're talking about. My question is this, how can you kick someone out if they are not in? Don't you first need to be in my house for me to kick you out of it? If we're standing in my driveway, I can't say, get out of my house. You're not in the house. If there is no local church commitment, if there's not membership in the local church, if there is no covenant made amongst believers in this community, then how do you remove someone from that community? Church discipline won't work if local church membership doesn't exist. On top of that, as a pastor, who do I have the right to bring church discipline to? Only the people in my church. So for these reasons, my church has church membership. And as an encouraged option for all the attendees, we talk about church membership. Now, every Christian should be a member of a church somewhere. If it's not my church, that's fine. I mean, this is a you know podcast that goes all around the world. My wife and kids and I were just looking up some of the different places that it goes to. In the top 10 cities that listen to my podcast, two of them are in Europe. So obviously, Almost everybody that hears this podcast isn't going to be a member of my church, but you should be a member of a local church. These verses make it clear that God's plan for his people is that we would belong to a local church. This local church is for our protection and our spiritual well-being and for the good of all, the, all of those around us in that local church. Now, okay, I want to explain two types of leadership and the reason some people bristle at this idea of local church membership and submitting to your pastor is because of the failures of pastors. And I get it. Plenty of pastors have failed. There are plenty of pastors that have not done a good job. There are also many, many wonderful pastors out there, but unfortunately, they don't get on the news that much. I was joking with Caleb a little while ago, and we said we've never heard the news story, you know, on CNN where they said, breaking news, a pastor has remained faithful to his wife for 40 years and served God faithfully at his local church. That never gets on the news. It happens all the time, but it doesn't make the news. When a pastor messes up and does something stupid, oh, we want to get that on the news immediately. All right, so there's two types of leadership, and these are two types of leadership that the Bible talks about. We have influential and we have dictatorial. Dictatorial leadership, they have both carrots and sticks. And a dictatorial form of leadership has the authority and the power to force those under it 
to do its will. Falling under the umbrella of dictatorial leadership, you have God. You have the government. And you have a parent over its child. So when you think about it, God can force us to do his will. He can. He has the authority. He has the power. Now, my interactions with God over the last 20 years have led me to believe that God would rather reward me for obeying him. But in the end, he can force me to do his will. After so many warnings and gentle admonitions and, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, softly and easily moving, sooner or later, God can get out the old God stick and he can make it happen. And he has the authority to do it. You also have the government. God bless the federal government. For those of you living in Texas, the federal government, bless their heart. We all know what that means. The federal government, they will happily force you to do their will. Honestly, I don't even know if our federal government knows what a carrot is. I think they're just all stick. As a parent, you have a dictatorial form of leadership. Now, some parents don't think they do, and that's why parenting is so difficult for those people. As a parent, I can force my kids to brush their teeth and eat their vegetables. I also force my kids not to play in the street, and I force them not to touch the hot stove. And this is for their good. This is different from influential leadership. In influential leadership, you only have carrots. So you have the pastor, the husband, and the employer. So to be a successful leader, I, as a pastor, talking about pastoral leadership, and this is where people get it mixed up, you might have been under a pastor who thinks that he has dictatorial leadership authority. He does not. And let me tell you, he burned some bridges thinking that he does. To be a successful pastor, I need to endear myself to my people. Then they will allow me to lead them. My people must believe that I love them and that I want the best for them. They must trust me, and then they will allow me to lead them. Pastoral leadership cannot be forced. It cannot be accomplished with a heavy hand. Mm, it should not be accomplished with a heavy hand. That is the reason so many people do not like the idea of submitting to a pastor because they've been around one that's tried to rule with an iron fist and it's it's terrible it hurts everyone including the entire church as a pastor i cannot force my people to do anything i wish i could i wish there was a button i could push to get my people to believe and obey what the bible says if there was a button I would push it so hard and fast every day that my hand would bleed. But I can't do it. I cannot force anyone 
to do what I want. I have to first win them over to me and then I can lead them. My pastoral leadership, you ready for this? It is greatly determined by a decision that you make. If you don't make the decision to be willing to be led by me, your pastor, it's not going to go well. As far as the husband, again, Ephesians 5 is very clear, talking about wives submitting to their husbands. And I've heard so many people complain about this. I mean, this is a popular thing to complain about in Christianity today here in America. The reason women don't like this, well, there's there's several reasons. One reason is uh, feminism, okay? And feminism is a lifestyle choice for the undateable. Some women struggle with this idea of submission to their husband because they've seen a husband that tries to exercise dictatorial leadership. They might've seen it in their dad. They might've seen it in someone in their family or a friend or on TV or whatever, or one of their friends comes plains about uh, their husband. and Oh, he's controlling. Okay. You hear that all the time. Well, here's the thing. Okay. And this, it, if I use the wrong phrase, I'm going to turn a bunch of people off and oh, everyone's going to hate it. The idea of controlling, it really doesn't exist. I can control my kids. I can spank my kids. Corporal punishment is legal in the state of Colorado. Between you and me, I don't care if it is. Okay, I spank my kids. That is part of training them. That is not training them. It is part of training them. So when you have blatant disobedience, part of the process of training is corporal punishment, physical pain to help them not want to disobey again. That doesn't work as an employer. It doesn't work as a pastor and it doesn't work as a husband. And honestly, I don't know anyone that tries it. I'm sure there's some moron out there that has, but I've never met him. I've never met anyone that's met him. The idea of submitting to a husband is distasteful because of some bad experience in the past, not because it is a bad idea in general and should be written off. My wife will follow me when she trusts me and she knows that I love her. She will actually find safety and peace in her husband's leadership. She will find satisfaction and joy in submission in the same way that I have found peace and joy in submitting to God. Now, that doesn't mean I always like what I'm told to do. I just do it 
because I know God loves me and wants the best for me. And I know that my life will be better off when I submit to God. All right, moving on. Growth into godliness hurts. I'm going to say that again. Growth into godliness hurts. It's not a pleasant process. As I interact with others in my own local body, my own laziness for spiritual things is exposed as is my lack of patience, compassion, and my prayerlessness. This interaction also gives me the opportunity to be lovingly confronted by brothers and sisters who are in the trenches with me. My local church is also a safe place to confess and repent of sin. And I don't have to go before the whole church and do it. I can do it at an altar call at the end of the service. I can do it one-on-one with a brother or sister in the church whom I know and am friends with and know loves me. I can do this with my pastor. But it's supposed to be a safe place where I can be honest. I can be myself. The problem American Christians face is that when church is just a place you attend without ever joining, then you're always leaving whenever your heart begins to be exposed by the Holy Spirit. Because things start to get difficult, you will leave that church before the real work can happen because you're not a member there's not a commitment so you can just do church hopping church hopping used to be a negative term oh i'm going to go to this church and two weeks later oh, i'm going to go to that church that used to be a bad thing nowadays that's kind of what a lot of people do and they go there until they hear anything that they don't like and i'm out of here and you wonder why divorce rates are so high It's because we are treating a pastor and the church just like a girlfriend. We're treating marriage as attending a church. And it'll work out for as long as it works out. But if it gets real hard, I'm out of here. Spiritual growth is hard. It's painful. Jesus relates it to pruning a tree. Now, out here in western Colorado, we have a lot of fruit trees. We literally have a town on the other side of the valley called Fruta, Fruta, Colorado. And in Palisade, that's the east end of the valley where my family lives, my son, he actually works for one of the biggest peach producers in the state of Colorado. And let me tell you, the way they chop their trees up to get the most fruit looks brutal. They cut a lot off of those trees god whom he loveth he purgeth it okay that's what god does god's god purges us when he loves us so that we can produce more fruit 
I think that's in John 15. It's a difficult and painful process. And it is important that we join a church and we have a commitment and we put roots down and we get close to the people in that church and our family, uh, or sorry, we put roots down and we get close to the people in that church as if they are our family and we love them and we love our pastor and we spend time with them. And then we are giving them the authority. We are giving them the opportunity to lovingly help us to be more like God. And it's going to hurt at some point. It's going to be tough. And when it is, we don't run. And we don't run because we've made a commitment. So what's the bottom line? Local church membership is a question of biblical obedience, not a personal preference. So God has what he calls a covenant relationship where two parties make an agreement before God. Marriage is probably the most popular covenant relationship that we've all heard of. Both parties come together and make promises. But they don't make promises to each other. That's not what a vow is. A vow is a promise to God. So both parties have responsibilities in the agreement. One party must keep up their part even when the other party fails at theirs. See, that's the difference between a contract and a covenant. Church membership is joining a group and agreeing to do your part. It is mutually beneficial to all parties in the group. Our job as a Christian who is part of a local church is defined in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. This is talking about a local church. You are supposed to comfort yourselves together, Paul talks about. He talks about knowing those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. That's the church leadership. And you are supposed to admonish or sorry, they are supposed to admonish you and you are to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. You're supposed to be grateful and loving towards your pastor. This should not have to be explained. (laughs) It's supposed to be a nice relationship. Okay. And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, that's our job as Christians. Uh, it says to uh, comfort the feeble-minded. I always joke that that means the teenagers. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophecyings, 
Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was, I think, about a dozen verses there. In those verses, there are 21 commandments listed 21 individual things that God wants from each of us. When I join a local church, I am agreeing to several things. First, that these verses are my goal in my life. That's what I am called to do. Next, I am making a commitment to help others accomplish this goal in their lives. And finally, when I join a church, I am agreeing to submit to a biblical authority and allow others to help me accomplish this in my life. Let's move on to another Bible verse here. We got a few more. I'm going to wrap this up pretty close to an hour. Right on the money. That's what I'm going for. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through four. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I'm not Lord over the people in my church. I am to lead by example, and I am to hope that people will follow. In Matthew 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you know how a shepherd used to separate out their flocks when two flocks would get mingled together so you have two shepherds two flocks of sheep hundreds of sheep and they're just in an area close by and the flocks just all mingle together and the shepherds come by and they're like oh okay well bunch of sheep over there bunch of sheep here these are all you know which one are mine which one are yours there was a system that they had one shepherd would stand on one hill and call out to his sheep. The other shepherd would stand on the other side of the valley and call out to his sheep. The sheep would separate themselves because they knew the sound of their shepherd's voice. The goal, now obviously this verse we can use as the shepherd is God. There's nothing wrong with that, but understand there is an under-shepherd. The pastor feeds the flock of God. That is our job. And our job is to make sure that our sheep know that we are there to protect them. We are there to beat off the wolves. We are there to help them, to heal them when they're broken, to comfort them, to feed them. That's our job. And because of that, the people, 
the sheep with the shepherd become reliant on him. They trust him and they know that they are in a good place when they are around him. That is the goal of the pastor. If your people don't know that you love them, if they don't believe that you love them, and by the way, you ain't going to be able to fake it. If they don't believe that you love them, you're not going to be able to get them to change for God. You can be very smart. I, there are so many pastors that I listen to. I, I find their podcast. I find their church. I listen to their sermons. I listen. There are so many pastors that are way more successful than me, that are much smarter than me. There are lots of pastors that do a lot of things well. But there are some pastors that haven't figured out this part that it's your job to love the people. That's your job. They have to know that you are a servant there to help them. When you see Jesus demonstrate church leadership in the Bible, what is going on? What's the story? Where do we find Jesus demonstrating what church leadership is supposed to look like? We find it in the upper room with the Last Supper, and what does Jesus do? He washes their feet. That is the job of the leadership. Everybody knew. Now, they were uncomfortable with it. And they were uncomfortable with it because they loved Jesus. And they didn't feel like he should be doing that. That was a sign of humility. He did that to show us. He did that to show all the pastors in the world. This is what leadership looks like. All right, the reason for biblical authority. Does anyone know what name God is called most in the Bible? God has lots of names. King of King, Lord of Lords, lots of names. Anyone know the name God is called the most? He is called Father. Any loving parent is there for the protection of the child. As a child, they build a fence around the yard. That fence keeps the little ones from being able to get into the street and get hurt. That fence keeps away a stray dog that might hurt the child. Within that fence, the child has a lot of freedom. There's a lot of things they can do. But there are boundaries because the parent loves and desires to protect that child. Any rational adult looking at the situation can see that the fence is not oppressive. It is there as an act of love. Likewise, when a parent forbids a child from touching the hot stove, the parent is not robbing the child of the joy of touching the hot stove. It is about love and protection. The fool says, how dare you tell me not to touch the hot stove? Who do you think you are? 
as an adult, it is up to us. We will voluntarily place ourselves within the fence or we will not. Will we decide, you know what, God? I'll put myself in that fence. I will submit to the authority of my local church. You, The Bible says, God, you put them here for my good, for my protection. Will we as adults voluntarily place ourselves within the fence or will we say, I want to run my own life? Will we forsake the protection of the authorities God gave us? Will we do the things our own way? Or will we voluntarily submit? Folks, I don't get a say in this. Your pastor doesn't get a say in this. But it is there for your protection. There are lots of Christians that have fought these types of things for a long time. They fight against God and they fight against God and they hear the still small voice and the Holy Spirit gently pushes them in the direction of God to make a step in his direction and to do something that's going to be good for them. And they push back and they fight and they don't want to do it and they don't want to go because it's scary over there and and where I am is comfortable and, and I don't like this idea of being told what to do. Folks, as a Christian, we can do that as long as we want. We've probably already been doing it with God for most of our life. We can do that against our pastor as well. What I'm telling you is once you make a decision to put yourself under that pastoral authority, you can find safety there. And I'm going to give you another one. You ready for this? We talked about this earlier. As a pastor... If my people don't believe that I love them, that I want the best for them, if they don't believe that I love God and I spend time with God and I'm close to God and I follow the voice of God, if they do not trust me, then they will not allow me to lead them. If you don't have a pastor where you can say those things, I love that man. I know he loves me and my family. I know he wants the best for me. That man loves God and he walks with God and I trust him. If you can't say those things, you should find another church. You should find a church where you can say that about your pastor because that's not good. Now, understand pastors are human. Maybe your pastor isn't perfect. (gasps) It's not a revelation. That's what we get. I'm not saying to leave a great church because your pastor is only only has seven out of those eight characteristics. But understand, that might be the reason that you're not willing to take the step and submit yourself to church authority. And that might be the reason that there are blessings that you could have in your life that you don't. You might need to find a good church. There was a time when I had to. There was a time when I sought counsel from several other good pastors and they told me they're like patrick you and your family need to leave that church even when they told me that i think i ended up staying for almost another year trying to give god an opportunity to fix things between my pastor and my family god could change his heart god could change my heart some something could be done in the end, we had to actually make that decision. We had to 
cut the cord and we had to find someplace else to go. And it was okay. It ended up, we saw now looking back that it was really God's will for us. And it was a great thing. You know, now I'm pastor in a church and we got bunch of people there uh last friday we actually had uh just a big day we had six baptisms which is great that's not like average for us that's a big day so we were super excited about that um and man god's just he's really been good folks thank you for joining us we hit the hour i'm just going to tell everyone that if you would please join us Every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central, you can join this uh, podcast live if you watch it on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. Go to BibleThumperPodcast.com. That's our website. You can email me at BibleThumperPodcast at gmail.com. And please find a podcast like share subscribe it helps us tremendously get that around and go to youtube and subscribe to this channel it'll be a big help to us uh thank you for joining us and uh catch us next week i think caleb's going to be back i have no idea what we're talking about but i'm sure it'll be i don't want to say educational or spiritual but it'll definitely be entertaining have a great week